Would you pray with me before we begin our Torah study? Amen. This week's Torah portion and the Hof Torah emphasize something that I think is very important to us, and that is obedience is connected to blessing. When we do what's pleasing to God and what he's instructed to do, it puts us into the very best position to receive his blessings. As well, favor is connected to blessing when, when we're walking in favor in the unmerited grace that God gives us, when we're trusting him and we know our needs and we want to serve him, but we're not just depending on our own strength. There's great blessing associated with that too. And when we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word, there's blessing. I want to ask you if you brought your Bibles tonight. If you did, would you lift it up? Good. If you have a digital Bible, let's wave it. A lot of us are enjoying digital Bibles. So you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, and we're going to look at a few verses here. And it starts with a strong word in verse 5. It said, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Now before you think that just means don't trust anybody, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean to be cynical about people. Let's read this whole verse. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. So this is talking about three things that go together. They're all related. It's trusting in man, but that doesn't mean just trusting in other people. It means trusting in ourselves as well. And who makes flesh his strength, or flesh her strength. What does that mean? It means trusting in our human power. And then the third part, whose heart turns away from God, whose heart departs from the Lord. You see, when we trust in man, when we trust either in the fleshly power of other people or our own human power, then we become the center of everything. And we get confused because we start evaluating life differently. The more we're trusting in ourselves, the more we think what we find pleasure in is good and what we don't like is bad. And we become the measure of everything. And yet we who follow God are taught to think differently. God is the measure of everything. And his will is the measure of what is good. What's pleasing to the Lord will bring real pleasure to us. So this is talking about a very inverted way of living, where we become centered in human power and we, we admire most of all human strength, including our own. Now all of us have power, all of us have abilities, all of us have talents, all of us have gifts. All of us have a need to, to use what God has given us. 
I can prove that very simply. If, if you don't use your human power at work, you think your boss will like you? I don't think so. If you don't use your human power as a student, will you do well in school? No, we need to use our power. So what is this talking about? It's talking about forgetting that God is the center, departing from the Lord and trusting in ourselves. Every one of us faces challenges in life sometimes. And we want God to come and do something a certain way and if he doesn't do it, you know what? We're gonna do it ourselves. We're going to get it done by trusting in ourselves. That's what this is talking about. And so it's using a hard word, cursed is the one who does that. Now you can understand cursed a lot of different ways. And if you think about it this way, it may be simple. That the person who is cursed is experiencing the opposite of blessings. The person who's blessed is blessed. The person who's not blessed is suffering for the lack of blessing. It goes on, it says he'll be like a, like a bush in the desert, a shrub, and he won't see when good comes, but he'll inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. If you've been in the desert in Israel, you have some idea of what this is talking about. Now let's compare that to verse seven. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. This is the contrast. One is not blessed, one is blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now what's interesting is it doesn't just say blessed is the one who believes in the Lord because you know believing in God can be cheap sometimes. We can say we believe in God but is that the same thing as trusting in him? According to the scripture, trusting in God is extremely important. Blessing comes to us when we trust in him. How do we know when we're trusting in him? Our hope is founded in him. We're hoping in the Lord. Have you ever been in such trouble that you knew nobody could help you? And everyone who had tried to help you couldn't do everything that needed to be done and you still had needs? Have you ever gone down emotionally when you've been in such a situation like that? Anybody had that experience? Am I the only one here? No, a few of you. A few of you have had that experience too. And then have you had that experience in the time of difficulty where you know nobody can help you but God and you keep trusting in him? Not only that, but he, he starts moving in a way that touches your heart and you start hoping in the next thing he's going to do. You start expecting something from God is going to turn the situation around. It's gonna make a difference. Maybe the, the person who needs to change won't change on their own initiative. Maybe the situation won't change with anybody's human intervention, but when God gets his hands on the situation, when he gets his hands on the person, when he gets his hands on this circumstance, it will change. When you have that experience, hope starts rising up in you. 
In fact, hope will rise up in you when you trust in the Lord. The act of trusting in God will generate hope. You may try to build up hope another way. Sometimes you can cheerlead yourself. And you, you know, I think I can, I think I can. Well, that's, I think I can. That's trusting in me. Sometimes you can try to pretend that it's not as difficult as it really is. Has anybody ever used denial in order to get through a hard time? Sometimes it works, right? Somebody said love's the most powerful force. I heard another person disagree and said, no, denial's even stronger. Because there are times when it seems like we don't even want to acknowledge, we don't even want to uh, have to deal with the reality of the situation we're in. But what if you're facing a situation that seems impossible? Impossible for you, and you're trusting in God. What might you remember about God and his power that could help you? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. Are you sure? So when you have a problem that's too big for you, you turn to him, right? But does it have to be too big for you to cause you to turn to him? I hope not. If the only reason we turn to God is because of troubles, you know what? God will send us more troubles so that we'll keep turning to him. And when we learn to turn to him without trouble, he will give us a greater life without those kinds of troubles. But what if we're in trouble? Trusting in God will help us turn around. Not in our power, but in his power. Trusting in God, not in ourselves. Hoping in God instead of hoping in our own strength. Blessed is the one who does that. That person will be blessed. That person will be happy too. He will be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river. He won't fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Now, why won't it be anxious in the year of drought? Because its roots are getting water. Why? Because it's planted by a river. Even if it's not raining, if the river's flowing, it's receiving the, the, the water that it needs. Compare that to that desert shrub that's out there in the salt wastelands that just dries up when there's not rain. This one is blessed, and it keeps yielding fruit. Now, the portion... The theme for this portion is the connection between faith and blessing. That the life of faith is not just built upon a doctrine, it's built upon a relationship. It's not just founded on the idea that there is a God and our agreement with that idea, but it's founded on a trusting relationship where we trust God. The life of faith is a life of faithfulness with God. And blessing is associated with service to God and obedience to God and walking with God. Now I want you to use your Bibles because we are going to scramble around a lot of different scriptures. Sometimes it is absolutely wonderful to just stay in one passage and to dig deep and to draw out from it. And other times it's good to 
to go through different scriptures and different places. Exercise your fingers. See how quickly you can, um, you can find things. Well, I want to start with a few scriptures that, that bring something, uh, an important thought together, that it's the life of faith is more than just being aware of God. It's more than just hearing it's doing, as t- it's doing as well. So let's, let's scramble. Romans 2.13. Romans 2.13 says, It's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Is hearing enough? No. What's required? Obedience. Yeshua said something that's so provocative and is connected to this. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that challenging? It's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. It's not enough to just raise your hand at an event and say, oh, now I'm saved because I raised my hand. It's not enough to even say, yes, I believe that there is a God. The life of faith that God has for us is connected to the life we actually live, that we actually practice the will of God. Now here's... Here's why I want to focus on this thought. There are people, every one of us really is vulnerable to this, that because it's true that faithfulness is important, because it's true that obedience is important, we can start trusting in our own obedience. We can start trusting in our faithfulness. You see, there's tricky business we can, we can do with ourselves. We can start saying, oh, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. And then we start saying, I am doing that. That makes me good enough in God's eyes. And we get confused this way. We confuse the obedience of faith with trying to save ourselves. And the moment we're trying to save ourselves, you know what? we are subject to what Jeremiah was talking about. We're trusting in our strength. Now, this is hard for religious folk to agree with. But sometimes we won't trust in God, we'll trust in prayer. We'll trust in the way we pray. We'll trust in what we know about prayer. Sometimes we'll trust in the spiritual disciplines which are good and help us. But instead of trusting God, we'll trust how we do those things. I think the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is very important. I think having fullness of the Holy Spirit is very important. I think the gifts of the Spirit are very important. I think everyone 
who trusts in Yeshua has the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that I have learned from both the scriptures and from experience includes speaking in tongues. But the moment we trust speaking in tongues instead of God who enables us, we've taken a step away from real faith. We may actually trust in our faith instead of God. We may trust in something instead of the Lord. But I think it's important for us to understand even though obedience is connected to blessing, even though faithfulness is connected to blessing, it's not our trust in ourselves and our own strength that's the root of it all. It's our trust in God. And this requires a fine line that we don't cross. It requires that we say, you know what, I want to stay close to God. And then we don't trust ourselves about that. John 13, 17. These are the words of Yeshua. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I have found in my life that sometimes I know what to do, but I don't do it. Sometimes I have the desire to do it, but I don't have the discipline to do it. Sometimes I know what to do and I have the desire, but I need something, something to help. And in those situations, I can either try to use all the willpower I've got I've done that, maybe you've done that too. And sometimes that seems to push me over to a place where, okay, it's working, it's working. But you know what can happen when you're trusting in your willpower is you'll find your willpower only will take you so far so long. And there'll be a certain point where it won't get you as any further than that. James chapter one, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. So we can look at the words of, of Paul. We can look at the words of Yeshua. We can look at different gospels. We can look at the words of James, Jacob. And they continually confirm the same idea that the life of faith touches the way that we live. It's not enough just to say something. It's not enough just to say we believe something. We have to actually do what is consistent with that. Now I want to move to another direction, which is the law the law, Johnny Law. Someone said everybody is American. I don't know if people in a foreign country will get this, uh, but everybody likes the red, white, and blue until it's flashing in the car behind you. <laughs> and, and it's Johnny Law. And uh, today I was driving down San Jose, and there was a sheriff's car behind me. 
going a long way. And I was really watching my speed limit. Do you do that when, when the police are right behind you? And if they're nowhere to be seen, do you watch as carefully? And some of you even have devices, radar detectors and things like that, so that you can really go f as fast as you think you can get away with, as long as Johnny Law is not watching. So I was driving down the road and I looked at my uh, speedometer and I was actually going below the speed limit. I guess I was anxious. And so I decided that's not a good idea. I better speed up to the speed limit. It was 45. So I'm driving 45 going down. I stop at a light. The sheriff stops at a light behind me. I start going. The sheriff starts going. Okay, well, I got to make a turn. And that's where I want the sheriff to keep going. And so the sheriff turns right behind me. Now, at that point, I'm thinking through everything. Okay, I didn't, I didn't speed. I didn't run a red light. There's nothing that I know that I did that was wrong. And I even, I'm checking my blood pressure and my, my pulse, and everything seems to be normal. All, all systems normal. Okay, and then I make another turn into the parking lot of a drugstore, and the sheriff pulls in behind me into the parking lot. Now, at that point, I'm thinking, is my license good? Is, do I have my insurance card? Do I have registration with me? Because I'm thinking, maybe I'm in trouble. I pull into the parking space, and the sheriff's car just keeps going. And I don't know where it went. And we never talked to each other. And of course, I was happy. At that moment, I was happy. When we're confronted with the law, sometimes it does force us to check things that we're doing, right? And there is an aspect of the law of God that can be like that. But what if you're obeying God should you have fear of, of God's law? Not really. Because when you're following God with all of your heart, you're not afraid you're going to get caught and then get in trouble. Now, sometimes maybe we should be afraid about certain things. However, when we are in obedience, we're not afraid. You see, when you have a right relationship with God, you're not always wondering, is God looking to catch you to prove you're guilty? Now, here's, here's the tricky part. When you want to follow God, and you sincerely are, and you know you're in a right relationship with Yeshua, there can come a point where you become confident of yourself and how you're doing it, not confident of him. And whenever that happens, the greatest protection that God can give us is to show us the need that we have and to show us that our faith, our obedience is never perfect, never perfect. Now, it could be sincere, 
It can be genuine. It can be real. It can even be good. But it's never perfect. Why? Because we are not perfect. We have mixed motives. Sometimes we can be doing really well and all of a sudden we're proud. Sometimes we can be doing really well with God and we become confident in ourselves. Sometimes you can be blessed so much that you start thinking that you don't need God for future blessings because you got the power to do it. We're taught to pray that we would never have so much that we would forget God is our source. He's our source. So that's one vulnerability. The other vulnerability is to think we'll never be good enough. We'll never be good enough because we are imperfect and and thus our relationship with God is based on insecurity and our own imperfections. And in that condition, we feel terrible and we're always wondering, can I do something that's gonna earn God's approval? The answer is no. You can't earn that kind of approval. You can't make yourself good enough that God will simply say, you know what, Joe is so holy He doesn't even need Yeshua. God will never say that. You see that we have that other vulnerability that in our insecurity we'll think that that maybe there's something we can do to make ourselves right. But the moment we think that we can earn salvation apart from God's mercy to us, his compassion, and his love, that's when we start trusting in ourselves and that opens the door to trusting in the flesh and departing from the Lord. A third vulnerability is that we will find a group of religious rules that we are able to keep adequately as far as we're concerned. And then we'll say, I'm good, I'm holy. And then we'll judge and evaluate other people according to those rules. This is a classic way that, that uh, leaders work. It's a classic way that all of us work. We, in our insecurity, try to find a way to get more secure by trusting in ourselves. And we look at the things we can do. That is a dead end. It's a trap. All of us are a work in progress. All of us need Yeshua's atonement. We need his atonement, not just his love, but his atonement. And we will constantly need it, and we will never be able to be so obedient that we don't need it. We will never be in a condition where we can now trust in our religious faithfulness, our spiritual faithfulness, and no longer need the Lord. That is what David Stern in the Jewish New Testament and the complete Jewish Bible, understands is the law of sin and death. 
and legalism. It's a, what he calls a perversion of the Torah into a system of rules for earning God's praise without trusting or loving or communing with God the giver of the Torah. When we think if I can just keep these rules, I'm good enough. We have to be careful not to live as subjects of legalism, and yet we want to live within the framework of God's Torah. So our vulnerability is that we would trust our own keeping of the Torah rather than the giver of the Torah. You see, grace, what is it? It's God's merciful, his undeserved, his unearned favor that comes from his mercy. It's revealed to us as we move towards him and we walk with him and we trust him. We put our hope in him and we accept our continual need for him. Maybe you've had this kind of experience where you needed money. Anybody ever needed money? (laughs) And as the need grows great, Haven't you found that you press in, in desperation? God, I need you, help me. We say, I need you, what we mean is I need money. (laughs) But it does help us sometimes. We press into God, and maybe you've had the experience that when you needed money, God gave you money. And then as you got money, and you You got out of debt, you got out of need, you started having surplus. You didn't need to pray so much, God, I need you. Because I got enough money. You see, when our need is limited to something material and practical like that, if that's all we think we need, then when we stop needing it, we won't think we need God. But our need is far greater than that. It's for much more than that. And we find something. We find as life goes on that God will actually use difficulty, challenge, pressure, need to reveal to us our human insufficiency and the insufficiency of everyone around us. How many of you think that we have a good medical system and great doctors here in America? We do. We really do. Even though there are some difficulties with the finances around all of that, we have great medical care here. And if you've lived in other countries where they don't, and where people can't even afford to go to a doctor, no one can, or when the doctors don't have meds, then you begin to appreciate how good it is for us. I remember when there was a point when we were in Ukraine and the hospitals didn't have enough anesthesia to actually give to the patient so that they wouldn't experience the pain. But they had enough to give to them so that they were sort of immobilized and couldn't do anything. And many a person who had surgery felt the cutting, felt the the agony and they were unable to do anything in the pain. 
But as hard as that sounds, that's nothing to compare with what battlefield medicine was like in the 1800s. And if you've ever read about that, I'm not gonna regale you with the details of it, but if you compare that time period to our time period now, you know we've made great advances. So we have a lot to be thankful for, but even so, maybe you've had this experience where the doctors couldn't help. They couldn't do enough, or, or they couldn't find out what the problem was. They, they run test after test after test. Have you ever had that experience, or someone who you love had that experience? How many of you have had that? Where the doctors are trying to find what's going on, but so far they can't. Or they think it's this, so they treat it one way, it doesn't work, so then they say, well, maybe it's this other thing, and they treat it another way. Or maybe you've had the experience where the doctors say, there's nothing we can do. And in those situations, even with a great great medical care system, you find you need God's help. And you'll pray. You will pray. You'll press in and you'll say, oh God, the doctors can't help. Oh God, the doctors don't know what's going on. They don't know what to do. And you'll press into God. You see, God will use even the hardest of circumstances to help us connect to him. Maybe you need a little bit of money. Have you ever needed so much money that if all your friends gave you everything they had, it wouldn't be enough? <laughs> In that situation, there's one who has enough, the Lord. And maybe he can guide you through it. You see, God wants to be close to us. He wants us to be close to him. But he wants us to always be aware that he alone is our salvation. He alone is our hope. There is blessing that comes from obedience. For sure, that's true. But he's our hope. Now, just when you think that you can trust in yourself and your religious theories and your theology and all of that, you discover things hard words from the scriptures that say, well, if you do all of that, but you don't have love, it doesn't count. Oh yeah, you've got this practice down, you got that practice down, you're doing well in this discipline, but you don't have love. How do you know if you have enough love? Guess what, you'll never have enough. <laughs> At least I found that out in my experience. We'll always fall short in our love, even with the ones who we want to love deeply. We will find ourselves insufficient. Galatians chapter five, verse 14, will lead us into the final thought I want to ponder with you. The whole law, the whole Torah, is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. The whole law is fulfilled. So what does that mean, it's fulfilled? How would you understand that? How would you explain fulfilled? 
Satisfied? Completed. Someone over here. Pardon? Coming into a full circle. Someone else. Perfected. How about terminated? Finished? Finished and terminated. Very similar. The whole law is terminated. Well, that wouldn't make sense in this passage. The whole law is brought into fullness, it's perfected, it's completed, it's, it's full. In this statement, you shall love your neighbors yourself. It, it's brought into fullness. That helps us understand something. That the fulfillment of Torah is not its termination, it's its being brought into fullness. The fulfillment of loving your neighbor, does that, do you think that means, okay, now you did it once, don't do it again? Once is enough? Or Yeshua did it, so now you don't need to do it. That's over. No, that would be a misunderstanding. Let's look at what James has to say. James 2, verse 8. If you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. So, fulfill. Does that mean complete, perfect? Yeah. You see, bring it into fullness. If you're really drawing out the rich meaning of it, you do it. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Has terminated the law? No. Has brought it into fullness? Yes. Brings completeness to it. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbors yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the Torah. Does that mean love terminates Torah? No, love is the full expression. So to try to do Torah without love, you know what? That's not doing Torah. It may pass in certain circles, but it's not doing Torah. Doing Torah requires genuine love. John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Yeshua said these, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Anybody in favor of full joy? How about terminated joy? What if full means terminated? Okay, now read it. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may come to an end. That would not be right. So that your joy might be finished. 
that it's over. No, that's not right. See, fullness has to do with being full. It's not coming to the end of it. It's coming into the full expression of the thing. One of the definitions of full is lacking in nothing complete. When Stephen was speaking before the Jewish leaders, it says that he was full of grace and power. How would you understand full there? That he had grace and power or he didn't? He did. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. How would you understand full there? I'd understand it like full. (laughs) Full means full. And all the words connected to it, fullness and fulfilled, that are all connected linguistically, even in English, but the, the Greek behind it, and the Hebrew connected to it, they all mean basically the same thing. Fullness means fullness. Your joy may be made full. It may be made complete. Now let's end with one one passage if we can. This is from Luke chapter four. Luke four verse 14. Yeshua returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. How would you say, is it a positive response or a negative response to his teaching ministry? Positive, right? Positive response. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Shabbat day, which would be Saturday, right? He went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. What would he read? Torah, Tanakh, something, Torah, Haftorah, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So is that Torah? No, Haftorah, but Nevi'im, the prophets. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the Gabai, the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. The good news is now over because it's been fulfilled. Is that right? No, it's coming into fullness. See the difference? And verse 22 confirms it. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Was he saying the good news that Isaiah proclaims is now over? He's absolutely not saying that. In a way, he's saying, now it really begins. Now you're going to see something. You're going to see the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, the redemption of God, touching all these different aspects of life. Whatever your needs may be, 
God knows how to reach you and how to take care of you. The people were positive about him because he had been teaching, and when he said this, they remained positive. And so that tells you something, that the word of the scriptures here brought news of God's mercy to people. It did not impose legalism on them. It was not death. It wasn't the law of sin and death. It was the law of life coming from the prophets, coming by the Holy Spirit, coming through Yeshua to the people, and they received it as good news. In order to have a good relationship with the Lord, we've got to get some of these details worked out. In order to be explained, in order to explain to other people, what do we think about Torah? If you reduce Torah to, oh, we go to services on the seventh day and you better too. If that's what you reduce it to, you'll move in the direction, I'm afraid, of evaluating other people. That's different than saying, I love God Shabbat. And if you don't see the difference, come tomorrow, as we'll explore more of this. I bring all this up to you because we're at a time in our lives and as a congregation where it's important for us to think clearly about what we know, what we understand and how we're supposed to live. And we have to avoid these two errors that I've talked about before. One says that the law is everything and the other one says the law is nothing. And neither of them is quite right. Neither of them really captures what these scriptures that we've been looking at say. Because they remind us it's the giver of the law who's everything. And the law is important for us if we love God and if we are walking with him, it becomes important to us. It is not how we are saved and yet the apostles said the law tells you how to be saved. And it's a challenge to read the law of God in order to discover the salvation of God. I want to encourage you to, to push into the scriptures. Talk to people who think differently than you do. Let them challenge you in how you express yourself. Maybe you think, oh, I know what I think. Well, talk to someone who doesn't like the way you think. It'll help you. Not so that you can argue with them, but so that you can find what needs to develop and mature in you. And check, let's all check ourselves that we don't slip into trusting in man, trusting in ourselves, trusting in our flesh, even our fleshly keeping of Torah and departing from the Lord. Let's trust in him. There's a great blessing for everyone who does. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that the law of the Lord restores our soul. We thank you that Yeshua is our shield. That you have given us, as King David said, the shield of salvation. Your salvation. Thank you for protecting us. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for paying the price for our deliverance and redemption. We want to honor you. We want to continue to trust in you. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.